Hello there, and welcome to my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, podcasting from the heart of the Netherlands, the beautiful city of Amersfoort, on a slightly colder day than the past few weeks. Winter is coming. Well, let's have fall and autumn first, <laughs> but summer is probably over. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. I love that small community of people that support me on a monthly basis. And if you want to join them, you'll get access to a special podcast that I record just for those that support me as a thank you. So check it out over at uh, patreon.com slash fatherroderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Busy times ahead, and actually a very busy week ahead of me. Uh, this is the first week of uh, the new television season. Everybody's back from vacation, and uh, uh, the the broadcasting channels stop uh, their uh, usual... Um, uh, the, the programs they put on repeat because during the summertime it's just very hard to uh, to to produce the same amount of programs that we do during the year although I have to say I, my summer has been more productive than ever before I filmed about 15 episodes of my TV show in advance over the past few months so my, my TV show normally stops around like the mid, mid to May um, so I used June, July in August to film all those episodes. And I don't think I've ever been this productive uh, when it comes to my TV show. And that makes me much more uh, relaxed at the start of this new season. Um, the TV is, is a kind of a blessing and a curse because uh, it, it's great to be able to reach a large audience through traditional media, but it's also a curse because you have deadlines and very, very strict deadlines. There's no way in the world that I cannot deliver, which in new media is a little bit more fluid. Um, of course, I, I, I really work hard to deliver you this this show every week, and I record an episode of The Walk. And also in in the in the area of podcasting, I've been way more productive and consistent than ever before. But for TV. Uh, there are very dire consequences if you miss a deadline. So uh, in, the, in the beginning of this year and previous years, there was always this stress, can I finish everything in time? Uh, it's a very, very labor-intensive process. Uh, I've uh, explained in the past that if you edit a TV show, then you have to realize that about one minute of a TV program takes an hour to edit, and it's just editing, uh, so that's not even counting the filming and voiceover work and all, all the rest of the post-production. So you can imagine that for a show that is 25 minutes long, every week for 15 uh, episodes in a row, that's a massive investment of time. So that's why I, I worked hard during the summertime so that this, uh, this, this upcoming season is going to be a little bit more... Um, <laughs> has a little bit more oxygen for me <laughs> and, and gives me also the margin to, on the one hand, spend more time just living life beyond work. And uh, I, I'm really, really enjoying the fact that I have more time to pray now, more time to uh, live a, a much more kind of a regular lifestyle where I have time to, to go on a run. Uh, I have time to do my Lego streams, for instance, or read a book, uh, study, be creative, cook, all those normal things in life that I, in the past, uh, sacrificed way too many, uh, way too often, way too many times uh, for to just, you know, meet the deadlines and deliver these TV shows. So that's on the one hand. And uh, on the other hand, to have more time to uh, invest in other forms of, of communication and media, like, for instance, these shows and uh, television programs for an international audience, uh, develop new ideas. Uh, we're working on this Dutch Catholic channel that really took off well, and we're developing a host of new programs, um, and, and it's super fun to work on that. But if you have to do that next to a full-time job, then that's obviously impossible. So um, it's still uh, with a little bit of trepidation that I start this new season um, because, well, 
sometimes things will still require more time than you initially thought, but it's a very good feeling to have everything on tape already, or on tape, on SD card already. In other news, in my in my hours of margin, I finally finished building the uh, Millennium Falcon. I, th- that's a project that I started uh, about two weeks, more than two weeks ago. It was a second-hand set uh, um, that is the um, the Ultimate Collector's uh, Edition of the Falcon. Not the new one, but uh, this is a set that was 12 years old. It was not the best quality. It's it's not real Lego, um, but I, I was able to pick it up for uh, for almost nothing. I think I paid. 95 euros or something like that. Um, I paid a price in terms of, you know, the difficulty of putting it together because there were, uh, there were quite a few pieces uh, and bricks missing, so I had to come up with uh, a lot of creative solutions for that. I still had to order a couple of pieces on BrickLink, which is a, uh, a like a, 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 a website where, where Lego gatherers or Lego f- companies and, and, and shops can sell their, their, uh, um, their bricks. But once that is all in place, then I still have a really cool Millennium Falcon that is I, enormous. It's a really, really big, but it's uh, it was an enjoyable project, but I'm glad it's over. Uh, so I've got some more smaller uh, real Lego projects. So I, uh, ahead of me, I've, I built the, the night bus, the, the, the purple triple-decker bus from the second or the third Harry Potter movie. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, I am now going to continue work on the uh, Lego film set that I'm building. So I wanted to create like a backlot, like Universal Studios, you know, where they film so many TV series and movies. I wanted to create something like that, but then in Lego so that I would have a permanent, well-lit Lego uh, uh, film set to film educational videos. And uh, this morning, during my early morning run, I already developed an idea for uh, uh, for a couple of episodes with a, a, a rivalry between um, a restaurant owner in Paris that they t- these episodes take place in Paris and so you've got a, a the owner of a French restaurant and his neighbor is the local priest uh, for, for for the the local church and they are constantly kind of uh, battling uh, for customers in a certain way and I came up with a, a couple of, of Fun storylines that can be both, I think, fun to to uh, fun stories to tell, and also a little bit educational on the side, a little bit like uh, um, what is it, Pepone and Don Camillo, if you've ever watched those uh, black and white uh, television episodes about uh, this priest, this Italian priest that is constantly fighting with the local mayor, and and I kind of took that idea and and uh, moved it to Paris. And then, uh, as I already mentioned, uh, the, an early morning run, uh, I've uh, started up my, uh, my marathon training again, and I'm hoping to run the Marathon of Rotterdam next year again. And it's been three, four years since I ran that marathon. I did some other stuff in the, ba- in the meantime, but I always keep coming back to Rotterdam because it's such a, a f- fun, cool marathon, a hard one. It's, it's, it's tough. It's usually uh, on the Sunday after after Easter, so it can be very warm. That's taxing, but what makes it so fun is that the entire population of the city is cheering you on, and it doesn't really matter where you are in the city, if it's in an industrial part or in the older neighborhoods, everybody is cheering you on. There are, are tens of thousands of people on the on the sidelines of the of that event, and it's the I think it's the biggest marathon in the Netherlands. So, but uh, well, to to get ready, I uh, I need to start training. So, and and I enjoy being back, you know, running again. There's also a very cool project uh, that I'm going to uh, that we're confirming today. Um, I'm I will be walking part of the Camino again in October. I'm going to be uh, accompanying a group as a priest. I'm going to uh, uh, accompany a group of uh, both volunteers and people with disabilities, uh, most of which are in a wheelchair. And the the people in the wheelchair and the volunteers are going to walk the last 100 kilometers to Santiago de Compostela. And I was asked to, uh, to accompany that uh, journey uh, as a priest. 
and also as a filmmaker. So I will be also filming uh, that experience and interviewing the participants. And I'm, of course, as you can imagine, looking tremendously forward to being back on the Camino. Because if you've ever been on the Camino, you leave a piece of your heart there. And, uh, well, a big piece of my heart. And then uh, hopefully next year, I'll be able to walk a full Camino again, or a full Camino a longer distance and I'm still thinking of walking the Camino Portugues which uh, starts in Porto you can also walk from Lisbon I think but uh, I would like to walk from Porto y you walk alongside the coast and you even take the boat for a moment and and then you go all the way to Santiago how do you not like movies they're predictable like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. If you're watching movies that uh, bore you, then don't watch them. I'm very picky when it comes to the choices that I make. I have limited time to watch movies and TV series, so it had better be good. I always kind of check the the reviews before I go and watch a movie. I've got a a, a good a, a two good friends of mine, a couple, uh, the uh, John and uh, Mary Eleanor, and they watch every movie that comes out. Um, and they usually post uh, a YouTube review right after uh, their first viewing. And some movies they like so much that they watch them like four or five times. And that is always a very reliable indicator to me uh, if I'm going to like a movie because they're very balanced in their reviews and, uh, and they're, they have similar tastes uh, to, to mine. And so it's thanks to them, thanks to John and Mary Eleanor, that um, I went to see a children's movie about Dora the Explorer. And I'm not kidding you. I never thought that I would go watch that movie. I had discarded it as, oh, that's for kids. But then they raved about it. They said it's so funny because the, the movie, the, so Dora the Explorer, uh, I was not that familiar with the, the original uh, children's series, animated series from the United States about this girl that um, is going on on adventures and she explores the jungle and the world with a monkey a talking monkey and her parents are explorers too and it's really geared towards very very young children and animation style is super simple it employs also uh, some some video game um, dynamics where sometimes the, the, the entire animated series will turn into a, some kind of a, 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 a video game. And Dora also teaches the children um, uh, Spanish words. So she will say, hola, and then she'll look straight into the camera and say, can you say hola? And sometimes you have to help Dora um, by yelling at the, at the TV screen because Dora will ask you questions straight to the children. Now... <laughs> I don't know if you're if you're a parent and you have children that watch Dora. It is, let's say, it's a test of patience to watch it with your kid. For kids, it's great, especially these young kids. They love repetition, so they love yelling twenty times to the TV screen. Like uh, uh, I don't know, Buenos dias, Buenos dias, Buenos dias to help Dora. But for if you're a little bit older, then it's super repetitive and it gets really on your nerves. So I've, I've seen some episodes of Dora the Explorer, I think when I was in the United States and I was staying with people that had young children and they were like super into it. I was like, I'd never heard of Dora the Explorer. So they made a, 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 a movie based on the character of Dora the Explorer. And... And so I thought that's geared towards I don't know three year three year olds, but then absolutely that's absolutely not the case. It's it's still a children's movie, but it's also in a very very smart way uh, uh, playing to the parents that that have to accompany their kids. And so they really made sure that there is enough for the parents to enjoy in the movie as well. And one of the ways in which they did this 
is by, first of all, it's not the same Dora. It's not an animated movie. This is a real action, a real life movie or an action movie. <clears throat> and Dora has grown up. She's now a teenager, I don't know, 16 years old. And she, again, she goes on an adventure to find a hidden temple. It's very Indiana Jones-like. But we, when the movie opens, you still see Dora as a, as a child. And um, what is so hilarious is that we we see her in her natural environment, and her parents are are uh, I don't know just trying to discourage her to go on an adventure alone because it's dangerous in the jungle, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then in the middle of that conversation, Dora looks straight into the camera and says, "Can you say Buenos Dias? Can you say what?" And then the par- you see the parents look at each other, and it's like, "Oh, oh." Oh, honey, it's just a face. She'll get over it. She, she keeps doing this. <laughs> and so they're totally playing with this. The, the, the feeling that almost all parents must have when watching their kids watch Dora the Explorer. Oh, it's just a face. This, this, oh, this too shall pass. <laughs> this annoying repetition. And so there are lots of little winks to the parents that, that don't take this too seriously. And there is a lot of uh, self-aware... Um, you know, breaking the third wall type of humor uh, uh, scattered around the the story itself. And this, and I have to say, the story, even though it's a children's movie, it is quite enjoyable. It's a it's a bit in the vein of the Goonies or of uh, like a children's version of Indiana Jones. It's it's a lot of fun and very well executed. There's even a, a moment, and I thought again, it was so creative, where and I won't spoil it how how that comes about, but where the entire movie changes into an animated, in the animated version of Dora the Explorer. And it's so well done. And wow, I was, I was really, really having a great time. And uh, I, I, I was so surprised how smart uh, of a movie this was. And I think that this concept, they could probably do another movie. Is if this one, I'm not sure about the box office numbers, but I, I hope that a lot, that, that people didn't, kind of uh, ignore this because, oh, it's just for little kids. Because this was one of the more intelligent children's movies that I've seen in a long time. And uh, and also, I really like the character of Dora. Um, the way she was portrayed was this super uh, open, uh, uh, cheerful girl who is always in for an adventure, never, ever... Uh, uh, um, judges people or thinks badly of them and and even when people are mean to her it's almost like wait I, that doesn't compute it's not part of her system to be mean and so she's a very moral character and in a way remind it's almost a metaphor i think of of um what we are called to be as as christians uh, is to have this open mind towards others to never be judgmental uh, to not even have the categories to perceive uh, nastiness and certainly not strike back or or be mean yourself and so yeah almost dora is is about this this uh, innocence you could also call it naivete because she is very naive um and and then in the first part of the movie, she has to go to a real school, and then she discovers that life is is uh, very tough, and 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 most people are not like Dora. But the contrast is so good because in a, in a very fun way, a very uh, oh, oh, yeah, humoristic way, it shows you how how mean people can be and how unnecessary that is, and how much Dora is actually captivating the audience by her spontaneity and her kindness and so great great movie to go watch with your kids um yeah that so that was the first review that i wanted to give you i never thought i would be uh, reviewing adora the explorer movie here on the show and then the second one is uh, uh the first episode of the dark crystal age of resistance series it uh, uh was posted uh, the entire first season was was uh, published on Netflix the other day, and being a massive Dark Crystal fan myself, I've watched that original movie so many times. It was one of my favorite movies as a kid, 
And to see what they've done with this series, I was totally blown away. And this is definitely, for me, the best TV show of Netflix of this year. Unbelievable. I mean, just the, the sheer beauty of the series. They did everything with puppets. So they brought back a lot of the people that were involved in the creation of the movie. A lot of the, the world that they build resembles... And it's in some cases even identical to the world that they they that Jim Henson created for the original movie. So that is an incredible uh, accomplishment. But what it, this movie adds is excellent writing. If you go back to the original Dark Crystal movie, it is kind of slow and it's much darker than you may remember, um, and and it's a bit ponderous as well. This television series, I think benefits from modern screenwriting and the dialogue the 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 balance of the epi- of the first episode is unbelievably well done um someone in a review wrote this is game of thrones with puppets and i'd have to agree i never thought that um that they could pull off such a such a mature um and in, in a good way mature such a such a a solid story using puppetry because the the, the, pup, the puppets are quite limited in their expressions they they are still built like the like the puppets like the gelflings that we saw in the original movie the the skexes are very similar to the ones that we saw in the movie by the way one of them is voiced by mark hamill <laughs> and he's amazing all the voice actors are fantastic what what i really loved is how after uh, after a few minutes, you forget that you're watching puppetry, and you're you're so involved in the story, and it's a classic mythological story about good versus evil, evil that that disguises itself as good, um, about oppression, about uh, slavery. There are a lot of themes in this already in the first episode that have a lot of uh, biblical resonances or you know you see similar themes that you see a lot of bible stories as well and it's called the age of resistance this is all about uh the the gelflings realizing at one point that what they thought were their saviors are actually their uh their masters they're you know using them as as slaves and so this is a, a great fairy tale about the importance of the respect for all life the the Disaster, cons- disaster, disastrous consequences of greed. This, this uh, unbridled search for eternal life by the Skeksis, but but trying to obtain it by 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 taking other people's lives, other creatures' lives. Uh, very similar to the char- the character Voldemort, you know, who who survives by taking the lives of others and other creatures. Um, so wow and visually they enhanced the puppetry with CGI but it's imperceptible there are moments where you obviously have to conclude this I'm watching CGI or at least they they took out I don't know the puppeteers because this is impossible to do with just puppets so in that respect this is more spectacular even than a movie there are also some scenes where you can tell that these are their children in in costumes. Uh, the Skeksis themselves are played by actors, um, and there must be an actor inside, and then probably a lot of puppeteers are surrounding those Skeksis. But it's flawless; it's invisible to see how they pulled it off. And so, the music very similar to the Dark Crystal movie, which has amazing uh, uh, music. I'm still waiting, kind of, for recognizable themes. It, I didn't really hear that much uh, of of the kind of the the, the thematics uh, the, the 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 musical themes from the movie itself. Maybe that's something that will come later on, or maybe this is just it, its own musical creation. But what's not to love? If you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. You will not regret it. It is absolutely fantastic. And uh, for that, it's time for a short visit to the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! And here 
here on The Peculiar Bunch. We're always happy to share everything you may want to know about Catholics and their traditions, but you're afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Every week I get a ton of questions from people that follow me on social media or watch my live streams on YouTube or listen to my podcasts, and I share them here on the show. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. Today I've got a couple of questions that were asked uh, during my Lego streams over on youtube.com slash fatherodrick. And the first question was a very hard one, which I really couldn't answer while I was kind of finishing the Millennium Falcon. And that was, what, what, what is the difference between Catholics and Protestants? For someone who's not familiar with those traditions or with the history of Christianity, that is that's a very understandable question. What's the difference? They, they all believe in God. They follow Jesus Christ. They have churches that, at least from the outside, look the same. That uh, They also read the, the same Bible, more or less. Uh, so what is the difference? Why are these groups separated? And uh, of course, that is probably the question that God asks himself as well. Why, why did this ever happen? Why did these Christians split up? It's something that Jesus expressed uh, very, very deliberately prayed for not to happen. Let them, let them be one. And it's probably because Jesus knew that humans are humans, and they tend to disagree on a lot of things, just like the apostles did. Did, and so he hoped that they would always try to find that unity. And that unity is is essential to the Catholic Church and to the Catholic tradition. That is why we have a pope. We have bishops. One of their important tasks is to keep the flock together, to make sure that the Catholic Church speaks with one voice when it comes to the important dogmas, let's say the, the foundation of faith, that there is a magisterium, which is, means an authoritative um, entity in the Church that can say, this is what we believe is God's will, this is the truth, and this is not. This is black. This is white, and uh, uh, so the the magisterium is is a guiding principle that has to ensure the doctrin- doctrinal unity of the entire church. Because of course, it's a worldwide community, and uh, with with many different people, many different cultures, different backgrounds. And if you wouldn't have that unifying ministry, um, th- then people start to split up and they start to fight about things. And that has happened throughout the history of the church. And then um, very often if, they, if something was going on and there was people did, didn't agree on, on important things, then uh, the church would come together and bishops would, would, uh, would talk and pray together and sometimes fight together and determine which way to go. Do we go left? Do we go right? And then the people that still uh, didn't didn't go along or, or didn't agree or continue to uh, to uh, take to uh, put up an opposition against the the choices that the church had made were uh, were labeled as heretics. And uh, it is, and it was usually thanks to this, these, these disagreements that the, the church would deepen its understanding of the legacy of Jesus Christ. And so the heretics are not without their function. It's, it's, uh, it, when there are disagreements, it's usually because these things are important to us and they're close to our lives and close to our heart and close to the choices that we make on a daily basis. Uh, you know, if it's just a disagreement about the color of the carpet in the church, then, you know, no need to, to gather a council to talk about that. But it's, it's, it's always a sign, if when people fight, it's always a sign that it is about things that they find very important. So it, it is worth taking time to talk to each other. And sometimes those talks fail. And sometimes both parties are to blame for that. And uh, in the Protestant reform, that split up happened be, because of many different reasons, not all of them had to do with faith. There were also lots of cultural uh, um, things changing in, 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 in the culture, in society. Um, and the Catholic Church had, had a lot of things that were wrong 
And th- so the reform itself, that the name says it, uh, the Protestants, if people that protest against the, the status quo. And a lot of those, uh, of the criticism of the, of the people that joined the, the Reformation uh, were, were, I think, very valid points. But once they decided to split up, they didn't come together, they weren't able to mend the, the disunity or the, 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 the fracture, that's where these communities started to split up. And then when you don't talk to each other anymore, and much worse, they started to persecute each other, that's where you start to see that, that the unity gets lost and uh, these groups go in a different direction and, and start developing their own traditions. Now, of course, flash forward to where we are now. The, the, the discussions of, of those early days of the separation are for uh, a lot of those discussions are no longer very relevant because we've well the catholic church has has changed has corrected itself the the protestant church has grown and evolved and changed and so now the the mission of both churches and when i say catholic church protestant church of course i'm talking in absolutes but in reality there's a wide variety the catholic church has many different uh communities but that are still united to 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 the pope so the papacy is the unifying factor in the catholic church on the protestant side you have many many different factions groups churches uh, uh, kind of um, streams in a certain way. I'm not sure if that's the word, but um, denominations is the formal word. And and not they don't always have a unity. There there is not like a Protestant pope or something like that. There are no bishops in most of the Protestant churches. Of course, it depends in the Lutheran tradition. It's that's more closer to the Catholic way of doing things and organization than, for instance, Calvinist uh, uh, groups. So in the Protestant, we, we talk about the Protestant church, but that is not uh, a single unified entity. And there are many different, sometimes very opposite, uh, opinions and, uh, um, and, and convictions within that, that group. But, but let's say, for the sake of simplicity, both uh, churches are trying to find that unity again and are praying for unity. It's called, it's called uh, eucumenism where we try to find what unifies us and we pray for each other that the Holy Spirit may guide us to that unity. And it doesn't mean you have to steer away from what is where the opinions are still divergent and there are many things, because of course this, this separation has, has uh, lasted for many centuries. That's not something you're going to fix in, in a couple of days or years or maybe not even centuries. But you have to talk about those different opinions, uh, uh, share your, uh, the traditions, get to know each other and talk to each other. And the moment people start communicating, that's where the Holy Spirit can work. Uh, and if people fare war on each other, then the Holy Spirit is kind of standing on the sideline and waiting for hearts to open. And that is true, not just in the church, that's true in politics as well. The, 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 the current fragmentation that you see in many countries on the political level has a very, uh, I think, dangerous side effect. It's that people don't respect each other anymore. And, and, and it's not just like, oh, well, you look at the world in a different way than I do, but it's, it, it, is, it turns into an aggressive um, hatred. And, and when people hate each other instead of loving each other, then there is no way you come together. And I think in our societies, in our culture, just as much as in the church, it's important to try to listen to each other, to learn from each other, to try to respect the differences, and also try to empathize with the people you, you, you seek unity with. And, and so it's always been my prayer and my hope that the process that is going on in the Christian churches to come together again will be an example for you know, the political realm and for the countries in which we live, that by our example as Christians, that we first, before we fight each other, we love each other and we try to discern uh, what God, uh, the, the, the way that God points us. Um, th- I, I hope that that can inspire the people of 
also, you know, non-religious people to have that same attitude. So that was that was the first question that was asked to me. If you want to listen to the other two questions, and I'll I'll share them here for a moment. Uh, one question is, when do you have time to pray? And the other question was, do you ever curse as a priest? If you want to hear my answer to those questions, then I hope you are a patron because I'm going to answer those during the after show that I record every week for my patrons. So again, uh, patreon.com slash Father Roderick if you want to join that community. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I started reading a book that I tremendously enjoy. It is part of the new a volley of books that was written after uh, Disney took over Lucasfilm and also the Star Wars franchise. And as you know, a lot of the existing novels were declared um, basically non-canon. And uh, they're now kind of marketed as almost as mythology or what-if stories. But the books that were written after the takeover by Disney, are part of the new canon. And one of those books is called Leia, Princess of Alderaan, written by the great Claudia Gray, who I think is the best author of the post-Disney takeover of Star Wars. She has such a great knack for, for writing Star Wars stories to get into the minds of the familiar characters. Um, And she did a tremendous job with uh, the story about Leia. This is telling the story about 16-year-old Leia Organa, raised on the planet of Alderaan. Um, But lately she feels a bit neglected by her parents, who seem to be much more interested in politics than in her and accompanying her as a teenager. And so she decides that she wants to prove herself. She is the princess who's supposed to become the leader of Alderaan, but in order to, 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 to uh, how do you say that, walk over that threshold, she has to, to undergo a number of tests. And in those tests, she will have to show the people of Alderaan that she's ready to be- become their leader. And th- what this book does, and I haven't finished the book yet, but what the first few chapters do really well is to convey that spirit of, of Leia that we know from, from the way she was portrayed by Carrie Fisher. And uh, you can totally see that this, this, this totally works as a 16-year-old version of the Leia that we know from the movies. And there are even uh, some references to characters that we know from the current trilogy, like, uh, like uh, Admiral Holdo. Um, so, so the, 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 there are uh, aspects of the new movies that are woven into this story, uh, not in a very uh, obnoxious way or like, like, okay, let's tie everything together. It's, it's done in a very, very good way, I think. But it's fun to see that they're weaving this story, this backstory, because it's, of course, kind of a prequel story of, of Leia, the Leia that we know from the movies. But they're still connecting it with the the existing canon story of of the movies itself. It's a great read. uh, Really enjoying it. And uh, highly recommend it. There's a link to the book in the Amazon Kindle store on the website. And with that, it is time, since we're already with our head in the stars, to talk a little bit about uh, science fiction. And I have to give you my final assessment of the first uh, series, uh, the first um, season of this science fiction series, Another Life, on Netflix. Uh, I talked about it, uh, about the weakness and the strengths of that series a couple of episodes ago. And now I've finished the entire season, and I want to let you know if it's worth your time. I see aliens. Little aliens from outer space. And how are things in outer Plutonia? How many times have I told you not to wear your space boots in the house? Go to shape, I mean you can donate my body to science fiction. Get your suit on! We need ya! So, uh, Another Life, it is uh, uh, what I think actually a low-budget series, now that I've seen uh, behind-the-scenes uh, segment um, with uh, Katie Sackhoff kind of showing us around on the set of the series, you can tell that this doesn't have a very big budget. And probably most of the money went to hiring her as the lead actress. Um, uh, the other actors are a mixed bag. Some of them are 
are okay. I really like the character of the artificial intelligence, kind of the data or the the doctor from Voyager. But then in this series, there's so he's also a hologram, just like the doctor in uh, in Voyager. Um, but he has personality, and 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 they kind of took the idea of of data trying to become human, and they they projected that on on this character and and I like the way he's portrayed I the actor does a great job um unfortunately the rest of the crew not so much there are a few cringeworthy uh um, characters uh, fortunately some of them well I shouldn't say that I would say fortunately some of them get killed off but <laughs> I don't mean that like that but fortunately the series uh, says good- goodbye to some of the worst offenders <laughs> they're really like ah why? I, I, I thought we were supposed to care for this crew, and instead I can't wait for them to leave the series. And there are some that remain that are also very, very pushy in, um, I, I, in an ideological way. I think uh, I ranted in my first initial impressions of the series about this uh, romance between this bearded guy and uh, the transgender doctor. Um, uh, so... Uh, uh, a man who underwent surgery and now identifies as a woman. And uh, you can tell from the moment uh, th- those two characters are introduced that, that this, this series wants to, well, I, uh, has a, an ideological agenda. And it doesn't serve the story. That that is always my beef. I mean, regardless of the kind of the, the moral choices of the, of the filmmakers, um, but it, it this feels like it's, it's a bit like in uh, Philip Pullman in um, the dark his dark materials where his anti-catholicism his very overt anti-catholicism is like a fremdkörper that would say in german so it's it's this this thing that doesn't belong in the story and it's forced into the story and it's it's really on the nose and very pushy and with this it's the same thing uh, it really annoyed me um and um, yeah, Th- that was one of I think one of the weakest points of this series, and and, uh, and both characters are not interesting. There is almost no character development. Acting is is kind of shoddy and really superficial. So, nah, nah, that was worthless. The 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 rest of the story is also a bit of a downer. It starts kind of interesting. So there's the, 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 there's this alien invasion on the planet Earth. There's this kind of crystalline structure. Nobody knows if these aliens are benevolent or or evil. And so Katie Sackhoff is or Sackhoff's character, Nico is uh, heading a, 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 a space excursion to the star or to the star system from which these aliens supposedly came from. And uh, there are so many improbabilities in the story and so many stupid decisions. But still, you know, with science fiction, it's kind of cool. It's, it, it looks okay. Kind of popcorn entertainment. Uh, had a bit of the, the... It's a bit serialized. So there, were, there was a lot to like as well. But uh, gradually, the series really kind of got off the rails and got more and more improbable. And the ending is downright um, disappointing. It's like, so this is how you wrap up the first season and you try to make people curious to what happens next to this crew? I really couldn't care that much. It's there, yeah. Both the story that takes place on Earth, the people that remain on Earth, is very weak, very superficial and kind of monotonous even. Almost no development and and the space story just ends with like oh okay so yeah it showed promise but i wonder if we'll see a second season i i, I don't of course we know we don't know the numbers uh, netflix doesn't release the, the the viewership of these uh of these uh, series but if this show gets canceled well you know why now we are on the cutting edge of technology Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. 
Well, actually, I've got two more things to share with you in the realm of technology. First of all, this audio is brought to you thanks to, I'm not sponsored by them, but uh, thanks to the Roadcaster Pro that I that I bought um, with donations of the patrons. So in a certain way, it is. Uh, <laughs> it's connected to, to the audience. But this Roadcaster, a really terrific uh, piece of equipment for podcasters. Um, it really improves the audio of the microphone. Now, I have a pretty good microphone, but this adds so much more kind of power to the voice with uh, all sorts of um, DSP, so digital manipulation of the of the sound. Gives it a real radio vibe, and it's super easy to use. I just can press colored buttons, and it will launch a jingle. It shows me how long I've been recording. It's got faders. I can even record pretty easily uh, uh, telephone conversations. So it, this this replaces a ton of of uh, equipment that you would normally use, and that I used to use for the production of these shows. Well, they just came out with a new uh, edition of their firmware and they really brought it to the next level. And I'm in awe to see how many functionality they added to this existing device. It's incredible. Now, for instance, you can store whole banks of different uh, audio clips. You can download them. You can you can take your configuration to another roadcaster and load it in and it's ready to go. You can record... Uh, for every, if in the past I used to make a, a ton of different podcasts, for every show you can now c- configure the entire device to make it uh, uh, easier to switch between the the, the jingles. And, uh, and I've tried out so many solutions for this, and this this does everything and more. So kudos to the guys. Uh, I think it's an Australian company of Rode, um, like. The, all the all the equipment that I bought from them really surpassed my uh, my expectations, and it's great to see a company that really listens to the demands and the needs of their uh, of their customers, and uh, they do a terrific job. I had a, a little firmware installation problem, so I wrote the help desk, and I got a really good reply from their technicians, and it's like, wow, I feel so validated as a user, and it's 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 rare in these days to get. Such good customer care. It's a great example, I think, for uh, for a lot of companies. And then another technical thing that I um, I worked on this past week, and, and it blew me away. You know that I have the Oculus Go, which is the cheapest VR headset that you can buy, and a great product. I still, if you ever want to dabble in in VR and you're not sure about the costs get an Oculus Go. If you have the budget, definitely get an Oculus Quest, but I don't have the budget for that because that costs about four or 500 bucks. The Oculus Go, if you wait for sale, you can, you can pick it up for 170, 160 dollars or euros. And it's an incredible bar- bargain for the amount of fun that you have. This is it's it's great 3D. It has a pointer, uh, uh, like a little device that works really well. You can uh, hook it up to a, an Xbox controller so you can play games in, in VR. But what is truly, I think, the system seller, if you're a little bit more technical and you like video games, it's a small free program called ALVR. I'm not sure what it stands for. You can get it on GitHub or JitHub. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. GIF or GIF. GitHub. Anyway, it's a it's a uh, an open source program that you can install both on your on your PC um, and on your uh, on your Oculus Go, and they will set up a Wi-Fi connection that makes it possible to play Steam VR games on your Oculus Go. The Oculus Go is in a certain way like an, a secondary uh, screen, a monitor for the game playing on your uh, on your gaming PC. But there's almost there's no lag, not that I can imagine, not, not that I can uh, uh, detect. There is a little bit of compression sometimes when there's a lot happening in the screen, but it's totally feasible. It's a, I mean the the, the yeah, it, it works fine. And so I tried this out on a game that I have been wanting to play in VR for years, ever since I heard that they were working on a VR version, and it's Skyrim. Skyrim is this super famous game by 
Bethesda Studios. Uh, it's this kind of medieval fairy tale world where you can be a warrior or a, an elf or a magician and you conquer dragons. And I set up a connection between the Steam VR game and the Oculus Go. And for the first time ever, I was inside a video game world. And, and it was a world that the Oculus Go itself could not, never generate, nor can almost any standalone uh, uh, um, VR system right now, because, of course, they were all using these uh, graphics chips from, from mobile phones uh, from a couple of years ago. So, so a lot of the games that you would play native on the Oculus Go are very simple and very rudimentary in graphics. But this is Skyrim. And I was like, y there is this opening scene that is kind of on rails, but at the same time you can still make some choices and look around and 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 and, and you're t taken prisoner. So you're sitting in this this uh, uh, cart, the horse and carriage. You're being transported to a village, but in the meantime, people are talking to you. You can look around, and it's snowing a little bit. And I was like, oh, I'm just I'm here. I'm I'm really here. And I I am being transported to this village. And there's some conversation happening, etc. Nothing too interesting. And then the village get atta gets attacked by a massive dragon. And the first time I see that thing flying overhead, I was like, oh, whoa, this dragon is, is massive. And at one point, it almost kills you. And, and, and it's, it, it, one of the wings goes down and almost touches you. And it's like, oh, you totally forget that you're inside a video game. And it's amazing. And it, it plays, you have to use your... Um, uh, your Xbox controller. So there's still a little bit, bit of a disconnect between your hands, the hands that you see, and, and what your, your actual hands are doing. But the game was developed for, uh, for the, the controller. It's, it's the only you know, big PC game that has that ability to play it with a controller. There is also Fallout uh, VR from the same company. But that was kind of a, a game that they refit it for VR and so it only works with certain types of VR goggles and you need to have the, the, the more expensive controllers the touch controllers so I can't play that one but Skyrim VR really really surpassed my expectations and I, this is a game that you can play for hundreds of hours and, and now I'm regretting that that the Oculus Go has such limited battery power because after an hour I started to get these uh, signals like, oh, low power, connect to... Oh, no! I was just enjoying slaying these dragons so much. And and then the, the audio, the game is, is identical to the PC game. It has this wonderful music, these sound effects, directional sound. So you will hear people from the left and you turn your head and the audio of their voice goes to the center and wow. Oh, I'm so stoked. I'm so excited about the future of video games in VR. And then to be able to do this on a, on a super low budget, unbelievable. So that's what kept me busy in my free time. Thanks for listening to this episode. I will be back next week. And of course, I'll be back with an episode of The Walk. And for those of you that are supporting me on a monthly basis on Patreon, Stay tuned for the after show. I will talk to you soon. Take care and God bless.